Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your Motorsports Insider for the Indianapolis Star, here to talk with Mark Shank Racing's Jack Harvey, my co-host on another edition of IndyCar Weekly. This uh, episode here, we will break down um, the first street race of the year held in St. Petersburg over the weekend, along with taking a, a look ahead to a jam-packed weekend of racing yet again um, at Texas Motor Speedway, the first oval, first and second, I guess, oval races of the year. So um, with that, I will welcome in Jack. Jack, um, how are you doing after uh, the second leg of this back-to-back-to-back weekend of uh, getting the season started? So far, so good, mate. Honestly, I had a pretty sporty blister after uh, St. Pete. To be honest with you, right on my uh, right hand, and luckily the IndyCar doctors gave me this uh, ointment, which has uh, made it a lot better. It's also stained my hand, kind of like yellowy orange. I'm feeling a bit like Homer Simpson at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I feel good, mate. And obviously, we had a great weekend. Uh, normally, feel good about those kind of uh, ones after, and then but now looking forward to Texas. But uh, you know, as we were mentioning off air, it's just that you're right in the thick of that busy part of the year, mate. You know, it's it's airport hotels and racetracks, but uh, yeah, all, all good so far. I felt like, and I, I don't know if this was just me or, um, or if there was maybe something more to this, but I felt like I heard about a lot of drivers having some, some sizable blisters on their hands post-race. Was this something that was unique? Um, is it more so unique, say, to you know, a, a road or street course um, and something you guys typically go through. Was it something about this weekend, whether it be just the, um, you know, the aggressive track and the higher temperatures at St. Pete, or is there anything that you guys could really attribute that to? I think it was, it was extremely humid um, this weekend. And yeah, I don't think it helps that in Indy, it was snowing, uh, you know, so my body was trying to acclimate very quickly, I think. And it sounded like a lot of people because, you know, after the race, I was chatting with Scott McLaughlin and, you know, he had a blister. I know Colin had them. Uh, you know, I think Connor was talking either about heat or blisters, but um, I, I attribute that down to just, for me anyway, just how hot I felt in the car and also how physical St. Pete is a race, you know, like, I mean, it's always a incredibly difficult race, you know, street circuits, I think probably bring out blisters the most, which is silly, but I mean, you're gripping the wheel all the time on a road course. You can, you know, let go of it for a bit, take a, you know, a little bit of a breather where really at St. Pete, the only place to get a proper breather is down that, you know, front straight, um, you know, and it's bumpy and you just, you're gripping the wheel so much there that, uh, I guess inevitably there's a little bit of slip and a bit of rubbing 
and uh, here we go. We've got some decent sized blisters. So um, yeah, I, I'm I'm hopeful that you know throughout the season, you know, my body gets a bit uh, bit more used to the heat. We uh, are in good shape. Yep, we can. I definitely want to touch on the the uh, the heat and the air screen, and I know we've got some even some questions from some fans on that more. But um, for folks that you know, for whatever reason, did a, didn't get a chance to tune into the action on Peacock and Big NBC on Saturday and Sunday, um, a great race for you guys there at Meyer Shank Racing. Um, I think if I remember right, it was your was it your third uh front row start of your indycar career i was mate yeah we haven't quite cracked pole position yet but we've uh yeah started on the front row in p2 uh three times now yeah and it was last year the first two were in back-to-back races there at the gmr grand prix and uh road america um so certainly a good result for you guys there to start things off um man i the the one thing i I did notice coming out of this weekend is man, those qualifying, um, particularly the, the test times, I guess, maybe to start, but, or the, the practice times, but man, those qualifying times were, um, it was a, a razor blade, um, with where you guys were, were all separated. Obviously you made that fast six there with, um, eventual pole sitter Colton Herta, um, along with Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pagano, Sebastian Bourdais and Pato award. Um, what did you notice um, in practice and qualifying just more, probably just more so plays into what we've talked about the last several episodes about just how incredibly close this entire field is um, right now when you're going into a race and particularly when you're going um, to just find one really good lap for qualifying. I think it uh, confirms what we've been talking about for the last few weekends, mate, on at least few episodes is, just how incredibly close and competitive the NTT IndyCar series is this year. Uh, and I was looking through qualifying and I would say, you know, we were on the right side of, you know, the tent that we were on a couple of times. And honestly, that was the difference between being P4 in group and, you know, being P7, uh, you know, so incredibly small margins. Um, you know, I think St. Pete has always been a very, uh, close track in terms of lap times across you know the field but honestly I, I guess it kind of made me feel a little good about myself because my prediction pre-season was that it was going to be competitive all year round and thus far you know it has been and uh yeah I, I think it, it just shows you know the how how good all the teams are this year how good all the drivers are this year but also just how equal it kind of feels right now and I think you know, I think we said this after uh, on last week that, you know, it seemed like Ganassi had the edge at Barber, you know, but I really felt that, you know, Andretti Autosport had really great cars in uh, in St. Pete. It looked like Penske's had really good, you know, cars in St. Pete. I thought the Maya Shank car looked really good. Uh, and I think every weekend you're just going to have, you know, a team or a couple of teams that maybe just seem like they have a tiny advantage. So I think that's going to flip-flop so much this year that, just being consistent, I think, is what's going to get us to uh, the end of the season in a good spot. Good point. I mean, I'm looking through uh, qualifying times right now. Colton Herta put it on pole um, with a uh, one minute point uh, three two one zero. Um, and if you take out uh, Sebastian Bourdais and Pato Ward, who had what you would maybe call 
some less than stellar laps um, that they put down in the fast six that were just above that um, one minute, one second mark. Um, it looks so if you say you include those guys um, in what I'm about to say, I mean, it looks like you can blanket the uh, what the first I think or the first 18 and then will uh, as well in a single second. So that's like 19 drivers within a single second in qualifying. Um, really amazing stuff. And it, I think maybe part of the cool, um, cool for me, you know, as, as someone who's not a driver, I'm sure there's some drivers out there that would, uh, disagree, but part of the intriguing part going into Sunday's race was that you had some really strong veteran competitors sprinkled throughout the field. I mean, I mentioned, Will, he was starting 20th after I think he finished with the, the second best second or third best time from Friday's first practice and really kind of fell off a little bit in practice two, as well as qualifying um, and also spun there um, and lost what probably would have been a good lap to try to make it into the fast 12. So he's, he's starting 20th. Um, you've got a race winner in Felix Rosenquist in 17th, Takuma Sato 15th, uh, Ryan Hunter, Ryan Hunter Ray just outside the fast 12 and 13th. And then you've got Rossi 11th and Scott Dixon eighth. So it made for, I, I think the cool part and maybe the most exciting part about this race was that you had some really interesting battles, um, in that mid pack, uh, which in some ways made up for, uh, I guess we haven't technically mentioned yet, but made up for, uh, Colton Herta's, you know, running away from the field, certainly in that second stint there where he built up, um, I think a, a more than 10 second gap on, Joseph at times. And then that got, uh, reeled right back in with those two late restarts after the final pit stops. Um, but he was still able to come away with, I think about a, a two and a half second, uh, cushion on Joseph in his victory where Colton led, uh, 97 laps and set the record for laps led, um, in a St. Pete race, especially at a, at a track where, that um that race i think before a couple years back had been maybe 110 laps for for quite a while and it's now just 100 so um props to him on a great race um ran away from pole as you mentioned one of those andretti cars that really just looked really strong from the start um this weekend and you were certainly I, I guess I would include you and in, in one of those with that in Andretti technical partnership that you guys had and being able to, to start second and finish fourth. Um, what did you, uh, what did you experience um, out of your, your car and um, the team and, and everything that helped put together such a, an overall pretty successful weekend for you guys? Honestly, mate, I thought we had a, a pretty good <clears throat> 2020 weekend going as well. So, you know, across the off season, we worked on a couple of things <clears throat> and um, just wanted to come to St. Pete just a little bit better than what we were. And I think we did that. You know, I think practice one, we tried something uh, that we haven't ran before just to get a good read on it. And it didn't, uh, it didn't pan out the way we hoped it was going to. So we quickly went back to what we had in the previous year, and then we looked good again in practice two. We qualified well. Uh, I thought we raced well. I thought our reds didn't quite hang on, but um, <clears throat> you know, balance-wise, I was pretty happy 
on the whole with the car. I thought Colton was absolutely flying. You know, there's there's no doubt about it. And the thing is, I get to see that data, and uh, you know, he was just super in tune with the car, super hooked up, and he drove incredible. You know, to pull away in that middle stint by like ten seconds was uh, you know mega on his part. And you know, I, I kind of I felt like if the race had been 110 laps, he probably would have led 107. <laughs> you know, he uh, <clears throat> he just he was really dialed in and tuned in uh, all weekend. So, you know, he definitely deserved uh, to be on pole, uh, you know, and to win, he was, you know, he was absolutely flying. Um, you know, I, I know what I would go and prioritize if we were racing again there this weekend, you know, to try and make just our weekend a little bit better on the whole. But um, I, mean, I, I was really happy, you know, I thought we looked good, you know, throughout nearly all the weekend. Uh, you know, I thought the Andretti Autosport cars, as I mentioned earlier, you know, were really strong and um, naturally just hoping that we carry that into all the street circuits this year, but also all the races. And I think Texas, we hope, is going to be the weekend that we continue that good momentum on before we head into a, uh, you know, busy month of May, uh, at least for the track anyway. So, um yeah, obviously, congrats to Colton and everybody at Andrea Autosport for the really awesome job they did this weekend. It was um, it, it was an interesting one, you know, from Colton. I mean, and it's it, it was kind of you know panned out, especially when he put. Uh, I think he he edged you in that qualifying by it was like a maybe a quarter second or so, which is a gap that you don't typically see. Um, was there ever a point? um you know before we maybe talk about the race a little bit more um before i think and i think that lap came on his maybe his very last lap like was there a moment there that you felt like you guys were going to be able to take that pull um or did you guys just kind of throughout qualifying did it seem like he maybe always had just a little bit more um and you guys maybe at least just for this weekend kind of did everything you you could to, to be able to start that race second Uh, I mean, he was really quick, you know, but he's really quick everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, I certainly felt that, you know, come qualifying that did we have an opportunity to battle for pole? I mean, absolutely. I thought we did. Uh, you know, I thought we looked good on reds. I thought we looked good on blacks. When we went out to do our, our final run in uh, Q3 there, um, you know, I was, I was optimistic that we could go and challenge for, somewhere in the top three you know that's kind of where i thought we uh, could be and um you know the team told me what the fast time was i went out and went quicker than the time i was uh told <clears throat> and in truth only a tenth slower than what we had done on our new reds when we went on the used ones for q3 there so um i, I was pretty happy with my lap it wasn't obvious to me where you know the that two tenths was to colton without looking at the data after but um you know certainly for a moment there, i thought maybe we'd done enough for pole and then you know in, in reality when you look at the weekend i think it's you know probably fair to say that uh, i think colton had you know tenth and a half two tenths on us all weekend which uh you know he, just had a, he was having a great weekend you can't uh, you can't knock it um you know we've been places and you know had the advantage of the other way i feel like so just on that weekend, he uh, he just was a little bit better than we were. Um, 
you you start start second. Um, I think you were still in second, if I remember right, pretty much to just about the end of that first stint right before the pits. Um, yeah, and then had some had some good battles with those two team Penske cars. Um, at, I think you said something in that uh, that qualifying or post qualifying press conference where you know you said that you were certainly really going to to try and push and make sure that you guys still finished on that podium, which I know you guys ultimately were just one one point away from. But when you you drop back to fourth there after things kind of cycle through with all the that first pit stop, um, what did you feel like you and the team did well to to continue to hold that number, you know, that fourth place spot? Because I know there was a lot of action right behind you guys um i mean i think what scott finished fifth um for a while there it looked like graham and uh and rossi were going to be making a, a charge trying to get into that top five so did you feel like you know where there's some we don't always get to see all the moments on track um you know we only really get kind of that that one shot that that nbc gives us so did you have you know any sort of good on track battles to make sure that you held on to that fourth place finishing spot through those final whatever it was 65 to 70 laps oh definitely i mean honestly i i felt under pressure all race uh you know me and colton started on new reds uh joseph and simon started on new blacks uh you know we, we stretched a little bit of a gap there uh, on the first stint and i think that first yellow that came out wasn't necessarily didn't super hurt us you know our strategy or anything like that but um it did pack everybody together which was a <clears throat> pretty unideal time on that from our side because you know we knew that the we knew the reds were going to be start falling off soon uh and obviously the you know blacks were going to be a little bit better in that part of the stint and it was just a, a little bit of a shame that right when that happened or was happening that the yellow came out and kind of really forced the issue so um you know i mean since <clears throat> from the first yellow you know i had joseph right behind me and then he managed to get by you know into turn one and then our reds really started to hit a cliff and fall off really hard um you know so i had simon right behind me before we came in for that you know pit stop we then came out at that point, still trying to battle with those uh, those guys. And Simon actually got ahead of us on pit sequence. That put us to fourth. Pretty much was on, you know, his bumper throughout the whole race from that point onwards. You know, if I guess for the final 65 laps or whatever it was, you know, we were then pushing Simon's try and get that slot back. And then I just happened to look in the mirror and saw Scott Dixon was right on my tail. <laughs> and, you know, at that point, you know, just for a moment there, you have to re remember that, you know, Scott obviously has got six championships and Indy 500. You know, Simon's a series champion and he has an Indy 500 and we're just slotted in the middle there. You know, I think for sure holding station in a uh, in a really nice way. Um, I thought our outlaps looked really good. I, the only part of the race for me that wasn't good was the... Um, you know, that final 10 laps on the uh, on the reds at the start there, I think that's where, you know, we lost probably the most ground to uh, Colton. You know, that's what allowed Joseph to get by and then also what allowed Simon to get by on the, uh, you know, pit sequence. But 
like I said to the guys after the race, you know, of course wanted to be on the podium. I mean, it's natural. And we were so close. And had we stayed ahead of Simon, I think, you know, other than the obvious thing, if we were ahead of him, we'd have been on the podium. I think we would have kept him behind, you know, for the remainder of the race as well. So um, I was really happy, mate, with, you know, the, the execution of our race, uh, the strategy that we tried to push on with. Um, looking back, I would we just need to try and find a way to make those reds last a little longer. And I think after that, you know, you may be looking at battling a bit closer for P2 and, you know, hopefully finishing third. But, you know, the, the big takeaway for me was that, you know, the people we were racing with, you know, throughout the whole day, are the best people in IndyCar right now, you know, the best teams, the best drivers. And we just feel like the, you know, the, the more we can do that on a regular basis, obviously the better, uh, because, you know, we want to be, you know, one of those uh, top teams. Um, uh, that was actually what I was going to ask you next is you mentioned, I mean, you kind of, you painted that picture really well with the idea of, uh, Simon Pagano right in front of you, uh, a former Indy 500 and uh, series champion um, with Scott Dixon, uh, a former Indy 500 and six time series champion right behind you. Um, what is, I mean, as you, you put together a, an 11th place performance in the season opener and now fourth, I know, you, you know, we don't tend to want to make too much of what the the championship standings say after two of 17 races but i mean it's notable that you guys are there tied for sixth um and just three points out of fifth so far after these two races um after being able to you know pull out the the results from start to finish that i know you guys might have liked to have been able to accomplish in the first two races last year um what has that done for the just the morale around the team? You know, when you're you're packing up and you're heading home from a weekend in St. Pete, um, not quite with the podium, but a, a really solid result um, where you can come away feeling like, you know, the the start of the season has in some ways come and mostly gone, and you guys are are really right in the thick of things where you want to be to potentially pull out a, a top ten championship finish and and hopefully hunt for a win later on this year. Oh, it's massive, mate, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to explain this to, uh, you know, a lot of people where, you know, our, for as much as I don't always like to do it, you know, our, it is still a newer team for sure. And, you know, one of the main goals for this year is to <clears throat> have a good enough year that it carries on, you know, for the future, for sure. Uh, you know, so many of these, in interviews or whatever, you know, people quote me saying, you know, the good things are happening at my shank racing and, you know, I really believe it, but then you come and get this kind of result and you see where our potential could be and you kind of can't help but believe it. And then naturally the hope is that it snowballs within the team. We just keep taking more confidence. We keep staying very humble uh, and keep learning because we still haven't quite got to where we want to get to yet. But we're going to keep working till we do, you know, and that's very much the attitude at, at Maya Shank Racing is, yep, St. Pete was really good and we'll enjoy it but how how are we going to get on the podium you know how are we going to win a race and uh <clears throat> you know i love that about the team you know everyone seemed very fired up you know after the weekend uh you know on yeah that was great but like how do we do more and i'm like well let's do it you know like i don't know 
you know, sat here today, but I can tell you that I'm going to work really hard between St. Pete to before Texas to figure out how we do it in Texas. Sure. Um, another thing, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit earlier, um, but I, I wanted to mention it some, you know, a little bit more with the, the heat aspect of everything. Um, I know, I think Colton, um, it kind of came to be known that maybe wasn't quite as widespread before that Colton was using this, um, cool shirt. Um, and I, I don't really know all the ins and outs of, of the device or how it works, but, um, I know there's, there's something like that, that seems like it's maybe available that some teams and some drivers are starting to learn about now, uh, that maybe they either thought wasn't allowed or just, you know, didn't know about before. I know we have the scoop on the arrow screen that's able to try and force some more air into the cockpit, particularly on those road and street courses for you guys. Um, talk to some drivers over the last couple of days that have some varying opinions on either, you know, trying a, a contraption like a cool shirt like that, or, um, or, or feeling like they are as comfortable as they can be. Um, I know there were some drivers that were just really talking about how, you know, in particular, how much hotter they felt like Sunday's race was in, you know, in comparison to some of the hottest races that we've had uh, last year with the aero screen. What, is there anything that you guys feel like you can do more of on your end? Um, did you feel like it was as elevated um, temperature wise in the cockpit and as hard to deal with as some drivers um, that we've seen on Twitter uh, have mentioned post-race? I definitely thought it was hot, mate. Um, you know, I look at the temperatures and, you know, it, it for sure wasn't the hottest race that we've had. Uh, but I noticed we felt hot in the car, you know, and, and I did on Saturday. And, you know, I told the team that, <clears throat> you know, I think we were all learning at the same time, uh, you know, what Colton had uh, used and what he was talking about. I honestly don't really know too much more other than what I've, heard and read myself but no doubt that's going to be a, a decent talking point here uh, for the next um you know little bit until you know we all figure out what uh, you know exactly we, we all want and what is available and what's okay to have what uh, you know isn't etc cetera, etc cetera. so um yeah I, I honestly don't know why you know it was so uh, so hot in the car i really you know, I look at the temperature and, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it should have been that hot. Uh, you know, we ran the full topped up to open, you know, open nostrils and everything. And, uh, you know, noticeably in the car, I was, I was still hot. So, um, yeah, a little bit confused as to, uh, why, but, um, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, uh, everyone's kind of in the same boat, you know, it's just down to us to try and, you know, figure out what, a good solution to that is, uh, you know, because I think within the, within the Andrea Autosport camp, it definitely didn't seem like it was the best solution. Um, you know, not even sure if they're going to be pursuing it any further. So, um, anyway, I don't know it'll be, it'll be interesting. I think to be honest, it's a, um, I think more people expected it to be an issue last year than it was as soon as we introduced the screen i think if it was just the halo that wouldn't be a big deal at all 
But, um, you know, I think the screen inevitably adds to quite a lot of temperature to the car. And I think trying to figure out what a, a good solution is, uh, you know, it takes time and it kind of can't help but feel it's not as obvious as we always think because you would hope that if it was that obvious, you know, the amount of smart people in uh, IndyCar and at Dallara would be able to just turn around and go, here's the solution, carry on. Um, you know, that hasn't happened yet. So we'll wait and see, mate. I, I, I would just like to, um, you know, I, I just like to have something that got it, uh, got it under control a bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to know, and I, I, you know, maybe if I see Jay Fry around Texas, we'll maybe get a chance to ask him some more this weekend. But I mean, I imagine that there's only so much that you can really do with inserting, you know, some more air ducts into the the bottom of the screen before you start to lose some, uh, you know, additional aerodynamics of the car. And I, I almost even wonder, you know, how much those can really do for you guys. It does seem like there's probably going to be a point and maybe we've already reached it where you kind of just, you know, it, it almost maybe just comes down to, I guess, a driver fitness in some way where you just have to be maybe in even better shape than you were, uh, you know, in, and I guess 2019 is, is a recent as that just to be able to deal with, uh, the fact that you're going to have a, a higher temp cockpit, you know, in those, particularly in those road and street course races. I mean, I know we have a chunk of those. We get to, after the 500, we get to uh, a double header weekend in Detroit, you've got road America, um, mid Ohio, Nashville in August, um, along with the, uh, road or the second race at, at IMS. So we're going to have a big string of these, uh, road and street course races in the dead of summer where, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the, the temperatures will be higher. I, I, I have to wonder if maybe the, the added humidity, um, because it was really, really sticky over the weekend. I almost wondered in some way if that was just higher than normal and maybe that had something to do with, with it. But regardless of, of what it was, as you said, it's, it's kind of hard to really put your finger on. Um, it will be interesting to see how that continues to play a factor in these races. Once we get to kind of like the, the middle chunk of the season. Um, but I know that's maybe not quite as, as big of a deal, um, on an oval track in Texas where I know it'll still be incredibly hot, but you guys are at least moving a little bit quicker and maybe able to, to move, um, some, a little bit air with a little bit more momentum into the cockpit for these races, uh, this weekend, I'll maybe do a quick breakdown of what you guys are going through, um, and correct me on this if, if I'm wrong. I think there's only what one practice session on Saturday for you guys that leads into a couple hours later, you guys have a, one of those unique qualifying formats that we saw uh, that debuted last year, where it's a two lap session and lap one sets the field for race one on Saturday. And then lap two sets the field for Sunday. Um, and then you guys go right into, uh, I think it's maybe a, a 7.45 or so Eastern time green flag. Um, so it's a little bit closer to, though maybe not quite um, uh, an evening race, though I think maybe closer to that than, um, than maybe a handful of races that you guys have had at Texas, maybe minus last year. So um, with such a compact schedule on that Saturday, I, 
in some way do you do you guys feel like uh last year's race where you guys also had to travel to and from the track within that 24-hour span was that almost kind of like a a training program to to be able to weather uh this saturday in particular a little bit better yeah maybe um i think the the big takeaway from moving into this weekend was you know i remember how intense last year the single day event was you know practice qualify race at texas motor speedway is so hard you know for a single day event so I'm glad we did it last year because at least I now know what to expect and prepare for. I would say the only the only issue I think we're just turning around and saying like drivers need to improve their fitness is that's what we spend all off season doing. Totally. You know, I, I feel like this is the the fittest I've I've ever been. Uh, you know, and the reason I think that is because I've I've been saying personal best in uh, in in multiple areas. You know, whether it's just my my cardio, my strength, you know, my explosive power. Um, you know, I've really been working hard with, uh, you know, my, my trainer, Jeff from St. Pitson, uh, sorry, St. Vincent's uh, sports performance and heading into the season was the best I've ever felt, you know, and I think the, the, the thing I find the hardest and, you know, I don't know where to do this right now because, you know, I look outside my window today and, I'm not, I can't exactly tell if it's raining, but it certainly looks gray, mm-hmm. you know, outside in Indy right now. But that's where I'm spending the most of my time. And it's hard for me anyway to go from, you know, 50 degrees in Indy right now to suddenly hot and humid mid-80s in Florida. Um, you know, I feel like once the summer kicks in and I'm, you know, in the heat all the time, I feel like my body adapts very well. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I, I think the only thing I would probably do if we are going back to St. Pete and redoing that whole weekend from a fitness stance is maybe try and go out there the whole week before and just try and get training done in the heat. So basically I've gone straight from Barber straight to St. Pete mm, okay. and just done all my workouts outside in the heat, because that was the thing I, I really noticed because physically in the car, physically I felt great. I didn't know how to combat the temperature that was building, you know, so um i was trying to jeff this morning and just like hey what do you think you know how can we how can we do this and you know although you wouldn't tell because i'm i'm pretty inflexible uh, you know i've been introducing yoga like hot yoga you know into my training you know and probably that's just to well, obviously i think yoga is uh, good for the body but heat acclimation i think that's the biggest thing that we are you know trying to figure out how to work on here uh in the summer it's fine because it's you know it's hot and humid in india also but um you know to start the season when you had snow in india and that's what we're used to walking around in a jacket you know to suddenly walking around in shorts and t-shirt just takes the body a second but in a race weekend you don't really have a second because it's they're so condensed at the moment that by the time you realize that i woke up back in indy and it's kind of cool again you know so um Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, the only thing that I can think of even is like, um, you know, I think of going back to like high school where, uh, you know, I'd had friends that were on like the wrestling or, or even a cousin that was on like the wrestling team where, you know, you go and, and run in like way too many clothes 
Um, and I like, I wonder if maybe that's the, that's the only way that I can think of at least to really simulate that, um, that higher temperature is if you're almost just kind of like forcing your body to overheat in some way while you're say going on a, a run or on the bike or something like that. But I, I, I imagine that's a, a tough thing to do. And when most drivers live in a, a climate that's cold in the, uh, in the winter, um, that's gotta be something that's really tough to, to prepare for. And I mean, we have to keep in mind last year when we started the season, we were already in June. So you guys had already had a pretty good opportunity to be able to, um, you know, to train, um, outside in the, the heat of what may brings to Indiana. So I think that's a good point that, you know, maybe we haven't thought too much about that. Most of you guys, you know, is try as much as, as you would in, uh, you know, your off season conditioning programs that if you're living in Indiana and you're doing a lot of this outside that your body is just not quite acclimated. I think that's a really good point. I, I really honestly hadn't thought too much about that. Um, well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit more and, and go into Texas, uh, a little bit deeper. We've talked about it a little bit after the, um, the test that you guys had there a couple weeks ago. Um, when you ha you have two races on a track that is known notoriously as just being a you know fairly I, I guess I don't want to use the word dangerous but it's just maybe more unpredictable um, and a little bit tougher just to come away from a weekend there with a, a completely clean car with one race let alone two um, how do you balance particularly say like in practice or in that qualifying session. Um, maybe even to a lesser extent in a race one balance, the aggressiveness that you want to show, obviously trying to, to put everything on the line and start as far as, as high up on the grid as you would like to, and, and go after, um, a potential podium finish in that race one with just making sure that you keep the car intact, um, you know, uh, so that you can get to that second race and be, in as good of a position, um, as you would hope to start that first race off with. I think because it's a double header weekend, you know, it's, it's so important to finish both races, you know, like finishing both is going to be extremely high on our, on our agenda. Um, I, it, it really depends on what position we're battling for as to how much risk I think people are going to take. You know, how good is your car? Um, you know, how's the strategy looking like it could play out for you? You know, all those things, I think, just they just get taken into account perhaps a little bit more when there's two, race, two, two races on one weekend. Um, you know, because I think, the, for example, you need to practice well, but you need to not have any goofy hiccups in practice so that you can qualify well. You need to do the same then for quality to the race. Uh, and then because it's a double points race, you know, or not double points, double header weekend, you need to finish race one. So I'd be in a good position for race two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't personally see Texas as being any more mm, dangerous, you know, to, to use that word uh, than any other oval we go to. You know, I think it's had some extremely exciting finishes. I think because recently there's only been one lane when the opportunity comes up to try and get by the guy. I mean, you really have to like push and try and make it happen. 
uh, because you don't know when the next opportunity is going to come. And I think whenever you see racetracks that go that way, occasionally it doesn't end very well. I think if, if, if we got to a case where you're able to run, you know, lane two again consistently there, that that would open up the racing some. And I know that's obviously high on Texas Motor Speedway's agenda, IndyCar's agenda. But uh, I think the, the approach to it, mate, is, is a bit like kind of how I felt going into St. Pete. I mean, we want to be we want to be aggressive without crashing, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to move forward as much as possible. Uh, and we want to see the checkered flag, you know, pretty, pretty simple uh, action plan, if you want to call it that there. But um, yeah, I mean, that's really how we feel about the weekend. Sure. Kind of maybe in a way where, you know, at, maybe at a, a different track or a, a different weekend, um, you know, say on like Saturday's race that it it's maybe more important to finish, say like, I mean, you certainly hope that you're, you're higher than this, but say you're, you're in 10th place and you're battling for, for ninth or eighth, that it's maybe in, in at least that race one, it's more important to, uh, you know, maybe if to, to make that, to make a smart decision on, on if you truly have a, a safe, legitimate option to make a pass, um, versus, uh, you know, just kind of settling for 10th place because, you know, 10th place is, is going to get you clean to race two and trying to go after ninth or eighth with a, a little bit of a risky pass might put you back in 22nd and have the team working off its back foot, trying to put a car together um, for Sunday's race that then might set you up um, for a, a, you know, in a, a bad place to try to, you know, be able to, to hold on to a, a top 10 finish like that. Oh, totally. I think it's it's really important. Easy to say it now when we're not on the track and not in the heat at the moment and not in the car. But I think it's going to be really important to balance, you know, risk versus reward over the whole weekend. You know, let's let's say say you're running seventh uh, and the opportunity is there to finish sixth. If you can do it safely, you're going to do it every time, you know. But I think if you left Texas with two top tens, you probably feel pretty good about your weekend. Mm-hmm. And if you could have be seventh and you crashed, I probably won't feel too good about a DNF and then one hot top ten, hopefully. So um, it's nothing to do with the championship at this point. It's just about finishing every race, uh, you know, learning as much as we can, and ultimately keep gaining experience, keep gaining confidence, and keep trying to get good results. And I think across a, as I mentioned, you know, across a double header weekend, you know, the risk versus reward has to be in play because the, the worst thing you'd want is to have a, a huge wreck in turn one uh, on race one in, in general, but especially if it meant not even getting out maybe for race two. So um, I think it's a weekend where we have to for sure balance being aggressive and we're not going to, we're not going to stop being aggressive. We're just going to, make sure that we calculate the, uh, the risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. I know, um, you know, now the Indy 500 has always offered an opportunity to have a handful of practices. And then you have two days worth of qualifying, which is so unique compared to other races, but it, is there any sense of it being helpful to you guys to have an oval race or in this case, two oval races, um, 
to get things going and get comfortable in the car with your guys' oval program because before you guys come to the 500? I know that was, um, you know, ever since the the schedule came out back in early October last year that the one thing, um, you know, is even if people were somewhat disappointed in, in the number of ovals on the schedule that they were somewhat excited about the opportunity to now again have an oval before the 500, which had been gone for at least a couple years. And even at, at times had been kind of back and forth, depending on how the schedule would fluctuate. Uh, I don't know if I really mind, mate, honestly, like I, I don't, I just like being in the IndyCar series, you know, I don't really care what the schedule is. Uh, in, in some ways it's probably really good to do it, you know, to have one oval race before the Indy 500, just so everybody is, you know, acclimated uh, because oval racing is a little bit of a different beast. Um, I guess, you know, my, my stance on it is this great, you know, like, I think it's a really good idea. If for whatever reason that doesn't happen, you know, I'm not I'm not crying about it either. So, um, you know, I think I think the schedule is looks really good at the minute. Uh, you know, at least what the the hopeful schedule when we started the season, what it was, you know, looks really great. I I really did enjoy racing at Iowa last year, so I was a little sad not to see that on the on the schedule. And uh, that being said, you know, I think Texas is a, a fun weekend. Obviously, Indy is uh, the crown jewel for sure. And, uh, you know, Gateway is a, a really awesome little oval too. So I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people, me included, who thinks it's nice and pretty helpful to have a an oval before the Indy 500. But um, don't know if, uh, I don't know if I would exactly say it was essential to have it. It's just, it's just nice. Sure. Um, and maybe just one last question, um, before we get into some questions from, from fans, as I, I can't quite remember what the, uh, the official countdown number is, uh, before we get to the Indianapolis 500, I guess, maybe if you don't include a day, maybe it would be like 32 days or so. Um, are you finding it at all, uh, tougher to, um, you know, just focus on the, the races that we still have before we get to the 500? Like, are you, are you starting to get anxious or just feeling the, the excitement of having a, a 500 to prepare for? Are you guys still just like so deep in race preparation for what you guys have at hand that it's hard to really even think too much about the 500? Uh, no, mate, honestly, I mean, it's, it's the race, races have been happening so thick and fast right now the only thing i'm worried about or even thinking of is texas uh you know before that it was saint pete before that it was barber um and even before we get to the indy 500 we have the indy road course race you know so i think you know the team always have an eye in for indy uh you know it's one of our cars gets rubbed on all year you know to try and be quick just for the uh Indy 500, um, you know, naturally it's the it's the race that everyone, if you could choose one to win at the start of the year, that's the one you would choose to win. That being said, we're not living so far ahead of time that we forget to be good now because, um, you know, to make any championship push or to finish well in the 
championship, you can't just be good at indie. You know, you have to be good everywhere else. And, you know, indie obviously double points this weekend in Texas, double race, you know, so equally a lot to, to play for with a lot of high, uh, high reward. Uh, also, if it doesn't go well, probably feels like a double sting. So I don't think anyone in, in my shank racing is getting, you know, caught uh, daydreaming, uh, you know, about what could be indie yet. Um, honestly, the, the, the first time we'll give in the Indy 500, you know, because some serious, serious thought is going to be the uh, once the checkered flag has dropped at the Indy road course. Otherwise, it's going to be maximum focus for Texas this weekend, maximum focus for Indy road course. And then soon as that's finished, then naturally, you know, 100% effort for uh, the Indy 500. Uh, and then honestly, as soon as that's finished, it's going to be maximum effort to Detroit. and. Um, you know, un until there's a, a little bit of a break or gap in the schedule, um, there's probably, there's not even a lot of time to really review everything that's been going on. It just, it's okay, where's the next race? Boom, let's go. And actually, I, I quite like that, you know, because it keeps you humble, you know, just because we're good in St. Pete, there's no guarantee it's going to go well in Texas. So we're working really hard, you know, trying to tick all the uh, all the boxes and, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's, as they say. But also, if there's anything bad that lingers, you haven't got time to worry about that anymore. It's time to move forward again. You know, so I actually like the schedule when it comes, you know, thick and fast, uh, you know, because it, it keeps you it keeps you very focused. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I certainly have enjoyed it as well. It will be interesting um, to see if IndyCar is able to, I mean, I know that, in a typical year, you know, the first, what, probably four races or so happen over, uh, I don't know, maybe it's like seven, seven weekends or so on the calendar. Typically, um, you know, the stuff before the, the GMR Grand Prix takes place from early to mid-March when St. Pete would typically kick off a season to the end of April. Um, and that's obviously what we were set up with uh, supposed to be for this year before we had a couple of changes there. Um, it'll be really interesting. I mean, cause I know, I mean, I in particular have really enjoyed it. I know, I think a lot of fans have, have enjoyed just being on the calendar every single weekend, but you also, when you're in car, you have to balance, um, the fact that you only have 17 races on the schedule and that you want to try and finish up the season, uh, before the NFL gets too deep so that you have as few, um, race weekends where you're competing against NFL and college football as possible. Um, so it'll be interesting to see for next season and seasons going forward, how they balance what they observe and learn from having four races and three weekends to start this year's season with the knowledge that, you know, you can, you can have a, a fast and furious start to the year. If you start in, mid to late April. Uh, but you also have to consider the fact that that means you're, you're taking, you know, all of October, November, December, January, February, March, and a good chunk of April off as well before you get going. So it's, it's a, it's a give and take for those in those decision-making positions. And it'll be interesting to see how they balance those uh, balances going forward. So um, I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, the only people I mean, I think for drivers, the schedule is fine. You know, mm -hmm. team owners, I think it works well. The people I feel bad for when 
doesn't matter races come thick and fast you know our 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 mechanics you know and especially our truck drivers you know who end up just being on the road you know away from home like this week was able to get back you know to indy for you know probably four days where by the time the truck gets back from you know florida it goes florida to columbus and straight to texas you know that's an enormous amount of time on the road for these guys and a lot of late nights in the factory and I, I mean, personally, I love the schedule. I, you know, the intensity of it, I think it's it's great. I also recognise that my schedule on those weekends is probably the best one of the teams. Um, you know, and I, the only thing I would I would say is it's, I think it's really great. I just would have a, a conscious thought about what the mechanics and the pit crews think about that. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, certainly tough. Tough for those um, men and women. I mean, and and you even consider as as short as this season is going to feel from start to finish. We still, I mean, we're going to have at minimum a five and may or minimum four, and I think maybe even five week break in there, depending on what happens with Toronto um, there in the middle for the Olympics. So, I mean, even even once we get past Indy, um, there's going to be very few, if any, any places in the schedule beyond that Olympics break. I don't know that there's a place where you have more than one empty weekend in between races. Um, did you uh, did you hear anything about Toronto yet? I have not. Um, I mean, it's still the the rumblings I hear from you know folks that I talk to around the paddock. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't sound very probable. Um, I imagine, I think Mark Miles has maybe even said this previously, but I think they feel like they don't have to make a decision until the start of June, um, because that would kind of put them on the timeline of that five or six week build time to put the track together. Um, so they, they probably have some more, some more time, but, uh, you know, it, things are certainly not trending in the right direction. I guess you would say, I know today we officially got the news that the Canadian Grand Prix um, for formula one has been canceled for 2021. So I, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly where that falls on the calendar, but I know that just generally speaking, Canada is, is not in as good of a place with uh, the coronavirus pandemic as the United States is both with um, spread of the virus and just the availability of the vaccine. Um, I think they have a, a much, much smaller percentage of their population that has been either fully or even partially vaccinated. Um, and I know also, uh, and I believe that this is still the case at the moment, and granted this could change between now and July 11th when the race is supposed to start. But I think any incoming um, travelers coming into, I don't know if it's Canada or just the, the province that Toronto is located in specifically, but you have to undergo somewhere like a, a seven to 10 day quarantine once you enter the country, which, you know, when you guys are racing that July 4th, you know, seven days before you're supposed to be racing again in, in Toronto, that just I mean, on its own would just be, um, you know, impossible to do. And I, I have always wondered if maybe they would make an exception, if you guys could all provide, um, 
you know, results about being vaccinated and things like that. I don't know if there'd be a way to, to skirt around that if they were really trying to do it. But even still, I know the big reason that you have those, um, those street course races is so that you can have fans attend. So it would certainly put green savory racing in a pretty tough spot because it certainly looks like, you know, even if things start to trend in a better direction for Toronto and Canada at large, that it would be hard to imagine uh, a significant amount of their population being vaccinated to where they could feel confident and comfortable in um, hosting a, a decent amount of fans to, you know, to be able to, uh, to attend that race weekend. I know the first two at Barber and St. Pete have only had um, 20,000 on, on race day, but they have also sold out. So it's a, a good sign that um, stuff around the U U.S. hopefully is starting to clear up and there's more folks that are interested um, and feel comfortable with, with going to races. Obviously um, we got the news last week about the 500 being able to host 135,000 fans on race day which is a great sign, um, but certainly a very different beast when you, you look at Canada. Um, and I would imagine probably in the next four weeks, I know IndyCar and IMS won't want to pull too much attention away from the 500 once that gets going, but maybe they're even able to make a, a, a decision here mid-May before we get going and get too deep into the 500 um, on that. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see more um, and, and keep paying attention to those pandemic metrics uh, as far as they are concerned. Um, but let's get going here on some of your guys's questions that you sent in big thanks to those um, five to 10 folks that did this week, a reminder that you can always do that. Um, send those to us um, on Twitter or whatever social media platform you guys follow. My Twitter handle is uh, by underscore Nathan Brown. Um, and I know Jack's is at Jack underscore Harvey 42. So we always love it. Always love to interact with you guys. Um, if you have a question about a race or about IndyCar in general. Um, Star Wars even. Star Wars baking. You know, we had some really great submissions um, that first podcast in particular on some things outside of racing. So Harry Potter, I mean, Harry Potter, so many options there are, there is, um, I would love to take some, um, out of the box questions, um, where, or, you know, something, something about Jack or something about me as, as a, a journalist covering the series. We always love those. So, um, we will dive into these, uh, start with one from Andy Merrick, um, that I thought was really interesting and, um, was an, an important one compared or, you know, with the, the number of, um, smaller incidents, I guess, that we had on track this weekend. Um, he mentions Jack, first off, congrats on a great start to the season. Uh, can you educate us about getting an Indy car into reverse? Uh, what's the process you have to go through to actually get a car into reverse? Um, it, it certainly looks difficult, uh, and what makes it such a challenge? And is it something that you guys practice, um, at all outside of race conditions? Uh, firstly, thank you. Yeah, it was a great weekend for sure. Um, <clears throat> it is definitely something we practice because it is kind of tricky. The, the trickiest part is once the car has stopped is having inside the gearbox, not having the gears dog to dog. Basically, it's when they don't, instead of like falling in place and creating any drive, basically each tip is against the other tips. 
so normally what we do from from neutral is actually do an upshift just to actually try and align the gearbox actually uh, we then downshift back to neutral and then with the clutch still in select reverse and then obviously maximum power as much as you can slowly the clutch out and then at that point back to neutral back to first uh, but the, the most difficult thing is actually sometimes just being able to like select it which is why we do that upshift just to try and align the gears in the gearbox to make that process as as easy as possible obviously it's not ideal having to shift back to first um but otherwise there's, there's not going to be any engagement of any of the gears so uh we practice it every weekend uh you know right at the uh, after our installation run right at the start of uh you know practice one every time we uh, we check reverses working well interesting that's it it was was something that um i know some of the drivers that were got into some accidents i think rossi in particular um was able to get the car back going but looked like he was having trouble with that and i think jimmy had an issue with that as well with his incident that initially occurred on lap 15 um where they eventually threw the yellow flag on lap on lap 17 another part and i guess maybe this i'll i'll add this on to andy's question um because I know we hear on the broadcast sometimes that there's a concern that if you guys can't get it into reverse soon enough, that just the car sitting there stationary, um, there, there's a worry that the car could overheat if you don't get it into gear in enough time. Is that something that also plays into this whole process of, of trying to get it in reverse quickly, of course, so you can get back out on track, but also so that you don't just you know, completely end your day um, with, you know, putting the car through something that it just can't recover from on a race day. Absolutely. Especially when it's hot, you know, like it was in uh, St. Pete, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, I think protecting the engine, you know, as much as you can, uh, you know, is a really important part. And actually I watched the race back uh, yesterday morning and uh, I think I actually saw that, you know, Alexander's brake even started to catch fire. You know, so there's a lot of elements there, mate. Really, the, the 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 quickest and safest way to get reverse and get the car moving again is uh, is the best way. And or if you're in a bad position, you know, occasionally we'd have to shut off the engine. I mean, we've been in a, a scenario before on track where the team of radio just said, "I know we're going to have to start the engine again, but can you turn you turn it off just to try and not damage it with any temperature?" So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, you, you would almost think that that process would be perhaps a little easier than it is, but uh, alas, not uh, not quite yet. Um, let's see here. A, a question from Matt McGinley says that given Texas is an extremely different type of track from St. Pete and Barber, um, what can you and the team take from uh this weekend in saint pete to apply to texas if anything confidence mate really uh you know it's been a couple of weekends now where we've had a decent weekend uh you know things have been playing out well our strategy calls i think have been very good uh, our decision making has been pretty good too they're the guys you know on the my shank racing have been absolutely killing it in pit lane uh so at that point it's just confidence you know for the whole team that you know we just keep learning uh you know we keep trying to uh you know progress forward the best we can 
And yeah, from there, you know, hopefully just keep getting good results. And you kind of, you hope that these things just continue and just snowball. And I often think one of the hardest things to generate in uh, in races is momentum. And I actually feel like we have a little of that right now. So, you know, while we have it, we'll just keep keep, uh, pushing along here. And yeah, my my, my hope for the team is we just keep, uh, we keep improving. Great point. Um, we always hear a lot of talk about that, um, quote unquote momentum that you can't really touch. You can't see it, but I know it's certainly something that plays into racing. Um, you know, whether it's just with the driver or, or with the whole team. Um, so certainly interesting to see, uh, how that plays into not only your guys' weekends, but some of the guys that rebounded from last week, like we had, you know, like we saw with Colton or Joseph or Simon, I mean, really that whole podium, um, didn't have particularly strong weekends for one reason or another in Barber. Um, I think we've, we've had, you know, two complete or six total people on the, on the podium. And I think only had like one driver, uh, repeat in, uh, in the fast six, which is pretty wild going from race one to race two. So, um, will be interesting to see how, momentum starts to play into this a little bit more um and maybe we don't see quite uh a completely new crop of characters near the top for qualifying and and races uh come come this weekend um and moving forward um a question here from uh george the fourth says what does jack think of lincoln city's season thus far uh, in potential chances in promotion uh, in the playoffs. Mate, they have an awesome season. There's no doubt. I mean, I, I would say this is a year where the Imps have 100% overachieved from where we hoped they were going to be. Um, you know, to be in League One is is mega for them as a as a club. Uh, you know, to be... Actually, let me check it right now. Um, you know, I think they're... they're they look pretty set, I would say, on at least getting to the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I think automatic promotion maybe um, is a little out of, uh, out of sight now. But, um, you know, you, may, you, you make the playoffs, mate, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, actually, they're third, third right now. Um, yeah, it looks like the automatic promotion is maybe a little out of reach, but uh, I, can't, I can't see them dropping out of at least getting the opportunity to move up to the championship. And, you know, people need to remember that, you know, Lincoln, my hometown is a, you know, pretty small city, you know, with inside the UK. So them being in the championship would just be was so awesome. You know, they're doing so many great things with the club at the minute that, you know, the city's right behind them. And that's what I would tell everybody. And, uh, you know, for, for your soccer fans who are also IndyCar fans, the Imps would appreciate the, uh, the extra cheering. <laughs> uh when's the last time that you were able to, to see them play uh a match in person uh it would have been around christmas 2019 um honestly just right around that time was uh when i was last time I was in the uk and then i came back to america then covid came uh in around march so uh, literally just a few months before you know, COVID, uh, COVID hit and struck. And I actually don't think, I'm not even sure if they have fans back yet. 
But uh, when I went back at Christmas this year, we had, you know, I chatted with all the, the guys there and, you know, have a really, really nice relationship with everybody at, uh, you know, Lincoln City Football Club. And, you know, their support towards me has been great. And, you know, we try and uh, reciprocate that the, the best we can. And I think people from Lincoln are, are really great about supporting, you know, fellow Lincolnites, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm probably a bit like people from Indy. You know, you're proud to be a Hoosier. I'm, I'm proud to be from Lincoln. So um, I think it's one of them ones where when one of us does well, we all kind of feel like we all are doing well. So it's, uh, it's a really nice atmosphere. That's cool. That's a good way to put it. Um, we got three questions um, about the heat aspect, which I know we've talked about a little bit. So um, questions here from, from Matt Roche, Brian, and cat girl. So let me look through these real quick and I'll just kind of maybe try to ask a, a general question that combines all of them. Um, maybe, maybe Brian asks, uh, it the best way he said, you know, I've never seen drivers look so exhausted as they did after St. Pete, what more can IndyCar teams do for cockpit cooling? Or is this the quote unquote new norm? Um, cat girl also asked, um, what other options are there, if any, for cooling the drivers in the car? Um, which I know you touched on a little bit, but I mean, is there, does it come down to, you know, just either more, um, more things that involve just you as a driver? Is it more options of, of either ways to tinker with the aero screen or pieces to add to the aero screen? What, what do you feel like is maybe adds the, the biggest opportunity of a way to get you guys cooler in the cockpit if you feel like you still need to? Uh, I think trying to generate a, a nicer airflow, you know, so the driver would be, would be good. I don't know how you do that with the screen. Uh, and the problem with the top duct is, you know, you can't just keep putting extra bits on around the top of the halo. Otherwise trying to get out of the car becomes a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I mean, that's one thing to you know for people to consider. Um, you know, is that it's great to just keep firing, you know, more and more stuff on, you know, but we have to also be able to get out, uh, you know, pretty quickly if needed too. So um, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, people laugh and joke, and it's one of them, you know, kind of questions that people ask, you know, every time you go somewhere new and. They're like, oh, does your car have AC? And we're like, no, of course it doesn't have AC. <laughs> but actually now I'm like, oh, that'd be a really, really great idea. Like maybe we should have, you know, some form of, uh, you know, even a fan or something in the car, you know, that mm-hmm. can blow air at you. I mean, AC unit sounds, uh, it's one of them things that always used to sound so goofy to me. But now I'm like, actually, that might be a pretty good idea. <laughs> well, you had, I mean, you essentially had a built-in AC unit that was just the, the factor of you guys driving, you know, even at, at the slowest points on street courses in excess of, you know, 80, 90 miles an hour. And, and at the quickest, even on a street course, probably reaching close to 200 at some point. So that, I mean, certainly played a big difference and was a big change. One, one interesting, the, the, only, oh, the only thing I would add to that, honestly, just from, from my perspective mm-hmm. is, Whatever, whatever IndyCar as a series decide to do, if it's for safety, I feel like that's something that should be mandated across the whole series, you know, because what I think you don't want to get into is 
oh, well, one team decided not to run it and there's an advantage not to run it because as mm. soon as that's the case, no one's going to run it. You know, but sure. so then we get back into the same problem where we're too hot, but no one wants the disadvantage of performance. So, and, I, and this was, I told IndyCar this as well. I, I feel like whatever they, whatever it is we decide to do moving forward, it should be mandated that you have to use it in certain circumstances because if there's any performance decrease or negative aspect to it, no one is going to do it. And then you get back into the same, the same merry-go-round, you know, because no one wants to be the one to give away performance. That's a great point. I mean, I know um, we've, we've certainly heard people talk about that with the scoop that's on top of the air screen that helps deliver a little bit more airflow to you guys, but I know is obviously um, affects the car's aerodynamic um, capabilities. It would be interesting to, you know, potentially see if, you know, if there's a weekend where IndyCar can project that it's going to be hot enough, you know, that whether it reaches like a, a temperature threshold with the combination between air temperature and humidity levels, if they were to go ahead and, and mandate something like that. And I guess they would probably have to give you guys like enough time so that you could make whatever additional adjustments that you feel like you want to for the car in preparation, and then probably also run it in practice um, just so that, you know, they can't just maybe say on race day um, out of the blue, hey, you have to run this because that probably in some ways affects what you guys are doing as far as your, your car setup prep. But that would be an interesting way. It can do. Yeah, it'd be an interesting way to see if they start to go in that direction. I, I even sure. heard in a call earlier today in reference to Colton's cool shirt. Um, I think it was uh, Felix Rosenquist who I was talking to on an, another zoom call. And he mentioned even some concerns about having just one more thing that you're like, quote unquote, hooked up to. So, sure. you know, if you have a, another device that's connected to your shirt or, um, or inside your fire suit that then's connected to something that's inside the car that's help helping, uh, push, you know, cool liquids or, or spitting cold air onto you that, you know, you've already got your headset and you've got your Hans device and you've got, um, drink tube radio. That's a great point. So you've got all these things that, and then, you know, when you're, you're trying to climb out of the car, if you get into a bad emergency with the air screen, um, that the that you know just one more thing that you have to disconnect from could be a, a bit of concern i mean i know that's that's a little bit of what roman grosjean um talked about you know when he was he has recapped his incident in formula one back in november that he you know was having to worry about unhooking from all of these different devices in the car to even be able to have a chance to get out of the car in the first place obviously we hope that IndyCar drivers avoid, you know, a, a big fiery accident like that. But you also have to know that it's certainly something that's possible. So I think that's that's kind of something that you probably have to, you and IndyCar have to kind of keep in mind when you're making those decisions. And it's a it's a tough thing to deal with when you're also looking at it all as off of something that was brought to the series in the first place as a, a safety development that we've seen. Um, how, how big of a benefit that you guys have, have gotten, whether it's been from the accident with Renus and Colton last year or uh, Ryan Hunter Ray's 
incident um, in race one where it looked like he could have put been put in a, a pretty bad place with potentially coming into contact with uh, Joseph's, Joseph's uh, right front. So mm. um, let's hear just a couple more quick questions. Um, this one from Alan um, says, Jack, looking back, did you guys wait too long to pit on your first stint on reds? Um, made an observation that said, seems like you guys did lose a lot of pace those last couple laps and Joseph was able to get by on track. Um, uh, do you have any, any thoughts on that? And then good luck at Texas. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I think that first yellow bunched everybody back up. So didn't help. Uh, but the, the scare St. Pete of being early was the overcut, you know, the, trying to get the tyre working well again quickly on a stint was going to take multiple laps. And even though the car wasn't feeling good at that stage, you know, Simon actually overcut us and that's what we were trying to avoid happening to lots of cars. Mm -hmm. So, you know, chatting to the team about it, I felt like we made the right decision. Uh, we still lost the spot. Uh, that being said, they felt like if we weren't careful, we could have lost, you know, several spots. Uh, I, I think as it turned out, our outlaps were really good. So, you know, we, maybe we could have been aggressive and uh, got after it there. And also worth noting that Simon probably wouldn't have overcut us if he only did it by one lap. I think his second lap was what really made it happen for him. But um, I think the, the bigger issue than, you know, did we pit a lap too late was more just why was our red pace so bad? You know, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, we can split hairs on, you know, we stayed out a lap too late or not, but that's not really the sole issue or the biggest issue. The biggest issue is, we need to make sure we find our red pace again. Sure. Uh, and then a final question here that I can take from uh, Zach Steinmetz. Uh, apologize if I did not pronounce that correctly. He asks, uh, do you think Rossi's disappoint, uh, disappointed performances this season, regardless of pace, will lead to more frustration and potentially a break with Andretti as the season goes on? Um, I will say, uh, I think the fact that he has shown pace, I think it's really important. That's something that he harped on a lot when he and I, um, when I had an interview with him before Barber and he said that, you know, the, the most important thing, even if you start off a season, uh, with some really goofy things going on that are out of your control, um, are, are making sure that you show, uh, a lot of pace so that when you have a race that, um, you know, where you don't get in an accident or you don't pick the, the wrong, um, you know, fuel strategy or, or number of pit stops that you're going to take, um, that you are right up there toward the front. I mean, he finished ninth in the first race. Um, and he said previously that, you know, if, if they'd chosen a different strategy and gone with the two stopper, he felt like they still had, you know, maybe a, a top five car. Um, so if you, you know, if maybe he moves from, from ninth to fifth, all of a sudden that's a pretty solid day for him. And the incident on Sunday with him and Graham, I mean, it's, it's a toss up. Both of them said after the race, they felt like it was just kind of a racing incident. They were both going for the same space on the track, which, um, as, as race car drivers, you're just going to do. And, um, you know, that the, the time it took, with having to go in and repair a flat tire and the, the time on track where he was paused and was struggling to, to put the car back in reverse so he could get out of the tire barrier, put him down. And I think it was 21st place. So 
we still haven't, I wouldn't say we've seen, um, an optimal, an optimal race out of Alex. And I think the fact that he's showing pace would lead me to believe that he's not super frustrated at, at this point. Um, he said last year, even two races in with the, the goofy way that they had their season start that, that he didn't feel like the car was showing pace and that that was the more concerning part. Um, rather than the the gearbox issue in the second race and the ECU um, not starting initially uh, there at Texas, so I think I think it's um, still probably a little early to be talking silly season. Though you know certainly I think there's there's a chance I have not confirmed with him. You know if he's say in a contract year or not, but there's certainly a chance if he's in a contract year. Um, I'd say probably until the end of time. Uh, as good as he is, there's always going to be some rumblings of or questions about whether he's going to end up with Team Penske. Um, I think that's just that that comes with being a high profile driver like he is, um, and a, a, a reasonably successful one at that. And, um, I think we just have to to wait and see what probably the next, um, I mean, I guess I would say the next 32 days, um, you've got four races in there, um, including the most important one of the year at 500, you know, at the 500, if he's feels like they, um, you know, weren't able to qualify well and, and weren't prepared for the race, then yeah, maybe, maybe there's something to, uh, a chance of him finally splitting with Andretti at some point, but I certainly would say, uh, it's a little bit too early to start wondering about that yet. So, um, that will do it for us on fan questions. Um, again, really appreciate those who sent those in and please, uh, send us more next week. We will be taping another podcast, uh, next week to break down the double header at Texas motor speedway. Um, really appreciate all you guys for listening to us these last couple episodes as we've, um, started this new journey with Jack. Um, thanks for, for all your interaction, all of your downloads and, and, um, you know, hitting the subscribe button and leaving us reviews and stuff. Uh, we really do appreciate it. So, um, I'll go ahead and, uh, leave it to you, Jack, to, uh, to sign off and we will see you guys after, uh, Texas. Yeah, mate, that sounds great. Thanks for uh, having us on again. And hopefully we've got something good to talk about uh, about this time next week. So until then, uh, stay safe and uh, hopefully go fast. Sounds good. Thanks for listening, guys.